Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome into the NBA Morning Deuce for... Friday, April 16th, and you know what that means for a Friday. That means Alex is out, guest co-host in. I teased him yesterday. That's why we skipped the Pacers yesterday, because we got the number one authority on Pacers (laughs) basketball on the podcast today, the host of Indie Cornrows, the best Pacers podcast on the planet. Also, the co-creator and co-host of Premium Hoops, a relatively new basketball website that's taken off a little bit they got some good stuff on there you're gonna want to check it out mark schindler my guest co-host today mark what's up dude not a whole ton joey i appreciate you having me on man it's a kind of a slow night in basketball tonight but uh, i'll take it i was a little bit ready for for a for a night that didn't have 12 games and trying to keep up on all of them it um yeah that's the uh that's the the blessing and the curse of a five day a week recap podcast. Like there's yeah, the days yeah, where, dude, I bet. where you have to like last night where there's 11 games and you got to try to hit the one, but we've made a new rule on the show, which is now that we're at a point we're at this home stretch. If it's a game between two shit teams that have no chance of making the playoffs, we just don't even talk about it unless something crazy happens. Like if somebody goes for 50 and we just, it's just something exciting, but yeah, there's these games. Like for example, tonight it's a four game slate. You got this Golden State-Cleveland game. What are we going to say? We don't really need to break down this game. It's, it's Cleveland. They stink. Steph's having a great – Steph had a bad game. We don't need to go crazy on that one. And then you got – you know, you got Phoenix-Sacramento. What? Are, that's the, the one of the late games. What are we going to say? Phoenix probably going to win. Sacramento loses their ninth in a row, and they stink too. So we've gotten to this point where we only – we focus on the, the important stuff that we can glean stuff from and stories and all that. So it's gotten a little easier. But, yeah, four games tonight. Very rare at this point in the year. Yeah. 
Hey man, that's Harrison Barnes slander as far as I'm concerned. So oh yeah, I, I, I won't lie. I am kind of a, I have a little bit of a thing for the Kings just because I love watching Harrison Barnes play, um, which is obviously, you know, that's a, it's a random name to pull, but I've always just enjoyed Harrison's game, but I no, really I like they're, 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 they're just like, they're, they're the team that's been uh, probably the most frustrating for me as like an analyst this year. Um, Cause they just keep going on these runs where they look really good. And then they do what they've done over the last week and a half and just play like a total shit stack. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Well, we, this, I'll tell you this, we have not been very kind to the Kings on this podcast. Um, Nor should you be like, <laughs> particularly Luke. We just don't understand uh, exactly. a lot of how, why that guy still has a job coaching right now. Um, but also, but I will say this when they went on that five game win streak a couple weeks ago, they were like, okay, you know what? Hey, we were, maybe we were wrong. Maybe. Th- and then as soon as we started to be positive about the Kings, they went on this losing streak. So naturally. And also look, the other thing is when you have Hassan Whiteside on your roster, bad things are bound to happen. That's just my feeling on it. And people may not love that, but that's just the way I feel about having Hassan Whiteside. They're already down 13 to four in the first three minutes of this game that they just started. So, um, but this whole week, Unfortunately, this has been a sort of rip the bandaid off type of week in terms of news on the show. We there was no show Monday because I had some technical issues with a power outage Sunday night. And then Tuesday we had to talk about the the situation in Minnesota and their game getting postponed. Yesterday we had to talk about Jamal Murray. Now today, the biggest news in the NBA has nothing to do with the games, but a a shocking retirement. LaMarcus Aldridge announces today that he's retiring and you can look at it in two different ways. You could, it, it was shocking and it sucks, but also I guess blessing in disguise type of thing that it, he's doing it now. Like it's what's best. So LaMarcus Aldridge retires abruptly. Apparently he's been playing with an irregular heartbeat and a couple games ago had a really bad, he played with it. And then after the game had a really rough night and decided all right, it's it's time to call it quits. It's not worth the risk, but just shocking news, just crazy. Came out of nowhere today. Yeah, um, it was wild, um, especially too. Uh, not to like create a referendum on it, but it was weird how uh, you know I got the initial report from Shams just saying that he's retiring, and then you know it came out that um, Lamarcus had posted something, and of course, you know, I mean, everybody follows Shams. Not everybody's following Lamarcus, so it was just kind of a little bit of a disconnect. Um, it was it was weird for me because I grew up watching Lamarcus play in Portland, and I loved him with the Spurs, obviously, until you know this last year, not so much. But um, it's uh, it's weird for me, you know, for every single night for like the last decade, I've been able to pretty much turn on a a game and no Marcus Aldridge is going to be working on the left block. And uh, that's not going to be a thing anymore. And that's uh that's weird. And like you mentioned, um, I'm glad that he's just going to be able to, to go out and be okay. Cause I actually um, not to like make it about me, but I had a, I had a heart issue as well. Um, I was working on a pro boxing career and I had a, a heart issue pop up and I can only imagine how he's feeling. Like it's gotta be a, mm-hmm. it's definitely not how you want to go out. Um, but just hope the best for him. And also, I mean, I, I, I'm not interested in like, you know, people saying like whether or not he should or shouldn't be a hall of famer, but he's just a fun player. I've always enjoyed watching his game. Yeah. It's an all-star, a guy who by all accounts, you know, seemingly 
if he would have left Portland a little earlier, maybe he would have had a shot at a ring somewhere else, but seems like that's just, you know, guys, they end up staying in Portland a little too long. We're seeing it right now, maybe with Dame and, you know, but he was a great, he was an all-star. He's a great player. It sucks even more just because this was his shot, right? Like this was his last shot to go get that ring. And not that when that team was healthy, he was going to be playing a ton of minutes, but because of the way the team is right now with all the, with the injuries, He's been playing minutes and he actually looked pretty good in the, in this little stint with the nets. So I think more than anything, it's, it's, it hurts him. I don't think it hurts the nets, to be honest. I think him being there was just, you know, a bonus. I ultimately, I really don't think this impacts the nets one really very much at all in terms of their outlook going forward. I still think they're the, prohibitive favorite in the east at the moment when they're all healthy um so more so than anything yeah, it just sucks that he's not going to get that chance to to chase that ring you know that again i mean unless something crazy happens and he feels comfortable coming back down the line but i, I think at this the age, darren collison moment yeah i uh um yeah no i, I guess with with brooklyn um it's interesting to me because i i agree i, agree. I, I actually appreciate your take because I uh, obviously, you know, the, the reaction to LaMarcus signing with Brooklyn was very across the board and uh, conflated uh, on both sides. Um, and I, I mean, I liked it. I mean, I think you just add a, a, a whole other threat. He's been a capable shooter for a couple of years now, or at least I should say a capable volume shooter. He, he'd always been capable, just wasn't doing it as much. Um, just added like versatility. I think versatility is huge. Having just the option. Um, so yeah, I agree. Ultimately it probably doesn't hurt Brooklyn, but still sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for the people, you know, when the signing happened, a lot of the people who looked negatively on the signing were people who really just were frustrated that he didn't go to their team. (laughs) You know what I mean? So there was all these people, especially like I, so I host another podcast, a a heat podcast and those fans were not pleased. Yeah. And they were all you know, Heat fans were just 100% convinced that Marcus Aldridge was coming to Miami, and then he didn't. So then it was like, oh, he can't play anymore anyways. You know, every team that didn't get him was like, I oh, can't play. <laughs> so, and it's the same thing with Blake Griffin. It's the same thing with everybody. They, they can't play if they can't, if they don't come to your team, and then he goes out there, and his first game looks great. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just I, – I, I, I didn't think he'd play as much as he did right off the bat, and I think ultimately, like in the playoffs – he's defensively when it comes down to it, they're going to end up playing Nick Claxton more and more. Um, and then like you saw in last night's game against the Sixers, who is the only team right now that I think has a shot really like a legit shot to beat Philly or to, excuse me, to beat Brooklyn. Um, you saw Deandre Jordan start that game and then Nick Claxton come off the bench. And then once they're totally healthy, Katie's going to be playing more for Jeff Green's been playing great for them this year. So he was going to lose minutes more and more as the season went on. So it just seemed like he would have gotten phased out of the rotation. And then, you know, he could get spot minutes, matchup minutes, where if he could take advantage or if there's foul trouble, he could be another offensive option. But, yeah, it just it's more of a, like you said, stuck for him. Yeah, yeah, most definitely, man. Um, that being said, you know, the one of the other teams that – we're it's still, we're still figuring them out. Even it's, which is crazy. Two years later, three years later, we're still figuring this team out. 
And now what we're trying to figure it out is can they compete with the Nets is the Bucks, who they're one of the, I mean, they're one of the four games tonight that actually was an, a, you know, a game that we can glean some things from here. Bucks beat the, the Hawks 120-109. Um, and it, for Atlanta, before we talk about Atlanta, we, we should caveat this game by saying Atlanta, as they have been most of the years, just completely injury riddled still. Yep. So the, the, to me, it's just impressive that they're even competing in games like this with the way their roster looks. But for the Bucs, um, it, it was a good game. I just continue to be impressed with what Drew Holiday has brought to this team. He's you know, so it, good, it, it just um, we talk about it a lot on this show, and you know, I think they got crushed when that trade happened, uh, giving up four first round picks. But the improvement from Eric Bledsoe to Drew Holiday is just so it's so such an absurd jump, and I guess not appreciated still by a lot of NBA people because. Drew spent so much time in New Orleans where you don't get to see him play. Now he's in yep. Milwaukee where even though they're one of the best teams in the league, you don't really get to see him play unless he's on national TV. And then you watch and you're like, shit, this guy really is one of the best point guards, two-way point guards in the NBA. And I, it does make a difference. I don't know if this, if it makes the difference that can make them uh, beat the Nets in a seven-game series. But it, it that's my been my takeaway from them all year. So that as long as he's healthy and doing his thing, this team can compete. Yeah, no, I fully agree, man. I uh, I definitely wasn't somebody who hammered them um, when not to like hype myself up, but like when when that trade initially happened, I just we'd seen Eric Bledsoe for three years really struggle in the playoffs. Um, and especially too, it's been rough watching him in New Orleans. Um, he has been just downright bad on both ends um and has lost a step for sure uh drew's shot making has just been so impressive to me like he he had that in new orleans but seeing him do it with with the bucks like you can just see so much of what they were missing uh not having that third guy who could do it um and the defense as well like you're mentioning like bledsoe's always been a really good point of attack defender um but what drew gives them the ability to do and just kind of guarding any, anyone like um it's been impressive. The playmaking has been good too. Um, I mean, tonight he was fantastic on Trey Young. Uh, really, just gave him hell. And Trey Young had one of his worst games of the season. Yeah, and that's that's basically where I I you know we'll, we will talk about the Hawks. So that's sort of where I lean with Trey Young is that when he when he goes up against top tier point guards, it's it's going to be a a struggle. Um, and then you know like I, st- I but the, my biggest thing with the Bucks and I guess everyone harps on it with them is that I just still don't trust. Even when I watch games like this, I just don't trust Giannis. Ultimately they got, I don't trust the positions that, you know, for the first time watching the halftime show, watching inside for the first time this year, I was listening to Charles Barkley and Shaq talk about Giannis. And I was like, okay, they're actually making some sense. I, I can actually listen to this. There's like some intelligence coming out of this conversation in the way that, and it's it's something that I've thought for a long time. The the positions that they put Giannis into score make no sense to me. Yeah, and they still do it here. Like having him initiate offense as much as they do, having him as a primary ball handler at the top of the key makes no sense. Never understood why they don't post him up more. I've never understood why they don't use him more as a slasher. Um, and I think ultimately, even though they're a lot better with Drew, and they, I love I love what Bobby Portis has brought to them. PJ Tucker's now starting to play a little bit. He looks decent for them. They're deeper. 
I still think if they can't figure out the right way to effectively use Giannis against top tier defensive teams, I just don't see how they make a deep run. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good point, man. I, uh, I think I was really, I don't want to say concerned, but I was thinking about that a lot tonight. Like, um, Giannis only played 25 minutes cause he's coming off of his first game in right. like, like two, two and a half weeks, um, at 15 points, but almost, it felt like almost all of them came in transition. Um, like a lot of, like you're mentioning, like, I don't think we saw them run uh, a Chris and uh, Chris Middleton and, and Giannis pick and roll or Drew and Giannis pick and roll at all. Like they, 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 they had gone to it a little bit more at the beginning of the year using him as a role man. And they just seem to have gone away from that recently. And it's frustrating because I mean, this guy could be like, when we see him as a role man, he's fantastic. He can make passes out of the short roll. He's a capable lob threat and I'm more than capable lob threat. I mean, just, Giannis with the ball in his hands and a full head of steam is incredible, but like getting him going from the perimeter is just, I mean, Solomon Hill played a pretty damn good game on him tonight. I thought, and they did a good job uh, just hedging him, forcing him to pick up his dribble and not get that full head of steam. Um, Once Clint Capella came out, I mean, that really shifted the tides for Milwaukee, but overall I thought Giannis, it's not like he had a bad game, but like you're mentioning, they just didn't put him in great positions. And he, Bud never has honestly. And I, I know Bud's a good coach, but the biggest knock on him has always been he doesn't adjust well. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen that in the playoffs. But like, can you remember the last time? Like, I'm sure it's happened. I don't watch every play of every Bucks game. I watch a lot of basketball. I don't watch every play. Do you remember the last time where they just set a simple cross screen on the block to get Giannis block to block to just post him up? Because, oh, never. Uh, yeah. But he, he couldn't be stopped if they did it. Like, if you execute it the right way, it's just so simple. He, I've seen them do it in the past. And then, uh, and then I'm like, why isn't this every time? Like, you know, they used to do it in the NBA and I, and I'm not a big proponent of, I'm not like, let's go back to the way things used to be, but it used to be where like, if you ran a play and it worked, then you go to it and you go to it and you go to it until it doesn't work, make them adjust. If they can't adjust, which is hard to do with a guy like Giannis, how dominant he is to do it. But bud, I don't know what it is. They just continue to, they play the, it's, it's essentially like a five out with Giannis. It's, it's similar to they try to run it the way a LeBron type of team is run, but he's just not as effective, you know, with his, his, he's not as you as well-rounded of a scorer, you know, as a guy like a LeBron is to, to be able to do that. They got to put him in other positions. It's just, so yeah, we'll see. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's good that he's at least back at, this the injury stuff this year is just absurd, man. It's just like oh, yeah, man. it's just crushing everything, you know. Um, so it's good. As far as the Hawks go, I'm actually interested to talk to you about the Hawks too, because obviously covering the Pacers, you have a, a firsthand look. You've had a firsthand look at Nate McMillan as a head coach in the past. And um I, I'm interested before we even talk about the game. I personally feel and I think we're going to talk about MVP at the end of the show a little bit. Um, but I personally feel like this year with awards that voters should think differently because of the unique circumstances, sure. shorter season injuries, COVID, all that stuff. And I think um, the lack of games with that would normally impact voting should probably take, have less impact. And for that reason, I think Nate McMillan should be involved in coach of the year. I know it's really hard to say a guy who took over as an interim coach comes in only 
he's going to end up coaching like 40 games or something in the regular season, maybe even less. I don't know to say that he should be involved, but what he's done for these, I guess now he's, I think he's 16 and six now as their head coach. It's remarkable. It's like, it's one of the best coaching jobs I've seen in a long time because when Lloyd Pierce got fired, I crushed them for firing Lloyd Pierce only because I didn't feel like he got a fair shake with the healthy roster. Yeah. Never had it. That That being said, Nate McMillan has arguably had an even more decimated roster and they just win games and compete in games. And it's just a really fascinating thing to watch. Like tonight you're Marv Albert on the broadcast talking about all the guys that are out. You're like, that could be a competitive team in the NBA. All those guys that were out. John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, Danilo Gallinari, Cam Reddish. I mean, they're just missing half their squad. They still, for the most part, competed until the very end. This is pretty fascinating what Nate's doing over there. Yeah, no, I agree. I uh, I mean, I'm trying to just rack my brain right now. I probably would have him like second for coach of the year just because Quinn Snyder. I mean, Utah's been awesome. But, I mean, I think there's a real case for having him first. I mean, I went from – I was so disappointed with what was going on with Atlanta earlier. I don't think I agree. Like I didn't think that Lloyd should have gotten fired, I guess uh, from the outside looking in it's, it's harder because, you know, in talking to some people in Atlanta, there was a lot of friction there. And uh, Chris Kirshner from the athletic had a really good piece detailing what was going on. Um, so it makes sense in hindsight. And it's, it felt similar to how things went with Nate in Indiana, like mm-hmm. um, surface level. It didn't seem like Nate should have been fired. Um, but there was a lot of friction between him and the locker room um, that, that led to it. But ultimately, yeah, like for them to go on this stretch after how they started off. And like you're mentioning, like they they've been even more banged up. So it's been impressive. Um, I wonder, too, like, I mean, we can probably talk about this after the game. But uh, yeah, like I'm I'm really interested to see this group in the playoffs. Um, I, I really like this team, honestly. And I was just thinking, uh, even as they were starting to let the game slip, like, you know, considering all the guys that, that you were mentioning are missing, like, uh, I mean, theoretically five of their top, top 11 were missing tonight. And they <laughs> almost, I mean, they were in this game for three, three and like a quarter of a quarter. So um, yeah, I, I think they're going to be a real, real team in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I think they're, yeah, it, it depends who they play. It definitely, obviously yeah. seating means everything. Right. But, you know, I guess right now they're four, they're playing really well. I see them staying around four or five, which means you're probably either playing Boston, New York, or Miami at this point. It's all tough series. I definitely think they could beat New York. Yeah. Actually, New York's Boston, offense just isn't good enough yeah. to, to win a series. Boston, what, we can actually talk about Boston in a second because they're playing right now, but um, and they're up 21-9 right now already on the Lakers, so uh, without LeBron and AD, obviously. Um Boston's been, yeah, all these teams have been up and down. So, you know, it's, it's tough to say, like, I I agree with you. They're, they have firepower. And since Nate took over, they're playing really good defense again, which in the beginning of the year, they were only playing their offense stunk, but they're playing good defense. Now they're sort of putting both together. uh, And obviously Trey's played a lot better, more efficient since Nate took over. So it's, yeah, if, if, if all things are healthy, it would be interesting to see which teams, they would compete. I think for any of those teams below them, they would absolutely compete. I still don't think they're on the level of the three, yeah. the three above them, like in terms of competing in a seven game series, just, and a lot of that is mainly experience. Like none of these guys have been there, you know, Trey, John Collins, obviously like 
Capella played in the playoffs, but he hasn't led a team. Uh, Gallo's, I guess, played some playoff game. You know, like they don't have any, they really lost their one true, like deep championship player when they traded Rondo, which was a good trade because I think Lou Williams is a perfect backup for this team. And I think that's going to go down as, in terms of their progression, one of the more underrated deadline trades because part of the issue I saw with Atlanta was offensively everything runs through Trey and they run so much pick and roll action with Trey that when he went off the floor, there was nobody to run that. And Lou Williams has that skill set. He's obviously not as talented at this point in his career as what Trey brings to the table, but you don't have to fundamentally change the way you're running things when Lou comes on the floor because they had such a massive drop off before when Trey Young was off the floor. Now it, it doesn't, that doesn't exist anymore. No, that is such a good point, man. I really appreciate you bringing that up because I've really liked how their benches looked with, with Lou will now, not the Lou will Brandon Goodwin lineups. I never want to see those again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I saw you tweet about those, that tonight. It was, Oh man, dude, every time that they've happened the last couple of games, it's just been like, God damn it. I know like they're injured, but um, playing two guys who are six feet, on a good day is like, yeah. it's it just, it's untenable. Um, but no, I agree. Like his, his, uh, his pick and roll game with Capella already looks really crisp. Uh, I've liked what he brings for them just as an overall shot maker. And like you're mentioning, I mean, just not having to look like a completely different team when you shift to your bench unit is huge. Like having the, the ability to kind of run some of the same stuff and, and get some of the same looks without even having Trey out there is, is fantastic. Yeah. Um, Capella tonight too. I mean, I've, I've been so impressed with Capella this entire year. Um, but tonight he was, I mean, he was fantastic. I, I thought that one place. Yeah. The all one, uh, the one foul call that ended up having him pulled uh, towards the end of the third, that was, that was questionable. Yeah, I didn't like yeah. that one. And that pretty much sent the game away. Cause it's like, I, I like Onyeka Kongwu, but he's just not at that level yet. Um, right. And it showed tonight, but yeah, no, Capella was fantastic. And the other thing with this team that's just becoming like a fascinating side storyline for when they become healthy is they are now, uh, let me just double check this number for, they're now eight and one since Solomon Hill entered the starting lineup, which, which is, is wild to think about. We didn't even talk about how it's the Solomon Hill game, man. Like he, yeah. Oh man, he was, uh, it was funny cause it, it felt like, or not, it felt like, I mean, Milwaukee's scheme to just leave Solomon Hill open was their goal. And Solomon Hill said, well, fuck you. I'll just hit everything. Six threes. And, um, <laughs> yeah. He missed the, I think he missed the first three and I was like, oh man, this is not, this is not going to go great for Atlanta. And then he's like, well, I'll just hit everything from now on. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, I said, do you think that he'll start still? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't he, even know. Well, I, you know, but let's say this. He, it's possible he should be in the rotation. I mean, he's been good here. My, I'm nervous about Deandre Hunter is the thing, because first of all, I said this earlier in the year, I stand by this too. I think the future of this team, like to get to the next level hinges right now on Deandre Hunter. Yeah. Um, and Trey young is a good player. I just don't think you're going to ever build a championship team around a Trey young. Right. Uh, and I'm not saying that you are building it around a Deandre Hunter. But the way the league is, wing players are so important. And when you watch DeAndre Hunter at the beginning of the season, he was averaging 17 a game. He's the best defensive player on your team. He's shooting the ball well from three. He was starting to progress in, you know, ever since Kawhi took the step that Kawhi took, everyone's looking for like a Kawhi type of player. And he was starting to make that progression to become that elite level defender who could also, he could score off the dribble. He could shoot the ball. Then he gets the knee injury. 
it was a weird, they, some weird name for it when it first happened, it was like some like chronic something you hear. Anytime you hear chronic, you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. Right. Pretty much. Uh, then he comes back for like two games. Then he has a, a non-surgical procedure. He's been out for another 11 games. I am so con- I'm concerned. I don't know that he, I, I just don't know what it, what the deal is with him. So yeah, as long as he's out, Solomon Hill starts. If he comes back, it's interesting because do you just start Hunter and Hill and move Herder or Bogdanovich to the bench? And because you could, I hypothetically do that and have DeAndre Hunter be your small ball four. But then what happens when John Collins comes back from injury? I, I just don't know. Yeah, no, it's that's part of the weird. That's the weird part about them. They're a really interesting case study because they have. Um, I, I don't love saying like oh too many like like what we did with Brooklyn at the beginning of the year saying oh there's too many chefs in the kitchen like that's not a bad thing I think mm-hmm. it's if you can't figure that out as a coach then okay maybe don't be the coach like uh, it's you, if you if you have that on your roster you got to figure out how to make it work um, like that's why I'm so interested in them because it's not just guys who are like one dimensional uh, catch and shoot players like they have five or six guys who can credibly go out there run actions and make things happen. Like I've really liked Kevin Herter a lot this year. I think he's grown a lot on both sides. He's still not like an awesome defender by any stretch, but um, getting thrown into the fire has been good for him, I think. Um, but yeah, no, it, it begs a lot of interesting questions. Like when you get this close to the playoffs, do you, do, I mean, if you have something working as well as it, as, as it is, do you, do you risk putting somebody back into, to work them back from an injury or do you, uh, do you, do you not shake things up? Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing to look at. Yeah. And like you look at the roster and you, and you probably say when everyone's healthy, not only does Solomon Hill, not, uh, not even does the question get posed, does he start? Does he play? Right. Because <laughs> exactly. We're not even talking about Gallo. I mean, cause he's not playing either. So you, if you bring back Herder, Collins and Gallo, there's not a ton of minutes for Solomon Hill, but also you're eight and one with Solomon Hill in your starting lineup. It's a tough choice for Nate. I, I would. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. I wanted to ask, as you know, covering the Pacers, because I, you know, we talk about Lloyd not being happy when he got fired. When 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 Nate got fired in India, I just didn't understand it. Now, mm-hmm. I admittedly am not don't follow like the ins and outs of the franchise, so I'm sure there was more to it than what you know, just the naked eye. But that's another guy who with injuries and everything that went on with that team, I thought got a little bit of a raw deal. Is that, was there a feeling of that in India or were people ready to, to move on and try something new? Yeah, no. Um, I mean, that was my initial reaction too. I thought it was unfair, um, especially because that, that re- reported contract extension that had come out. Like it was like two weeks early, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so it was, it was totally not on my mind that he was going to get fired. Um, and I, I mean, like, 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 like I said a little bit earlier, like, uh, and, and we talked about, I mean, there, there was some stuff that went on in the locker room. I know Malcolm Brogdon was a, a big, uh, big reason for why, I mean, like Malcolm Brogdon went to ownership and was like, Hey, you know, we, we want to move on. Um, 
Wow, and, I did not. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, no, okay. that was reported I, by I must the have Star. It. I must have uh, no, it. I mean that I don't. I don't blame people. Like it's uh, it's unless you're like following stuff pretty extensively, it doesn't always come out. You know, like um, and it wasn't just Malcolm. Not to like pinpoint it on him, but it's just uh, there was I a love, lot of friction. Malcolm. Such a oh, big Malcolm's, Malcolm guy. Malcolm's that. awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, but there was a lot of stuff going on in the locker room that that Nate was not. You know, uh, they, Nate's. I don't. I hate saying old old school because it has a bad connotation, but like his thing was, okay, I will coach you guys on court and you can handle stuff in the locker room. And they needed him to handle stuff in the locker room. It was uh, not good. Got it. Um, and yeah, that, that was a big reason for it. And also just the, there was some inflexibility in the playoffs and um, in, in switching uh, some of the schemes that they were running and, and making some adjustments. And um, I don't know how much uh, to put into that, but I know that was something that, uh, that frustrated players as well. Um, but I, I agree. I mean, it just, uh, it was kind of a raw deal. Nate, but gotcha. unfortunately, yeah. this is how things worked out. But I'm just happy to see him having this run, and uh, me too. That's what makes me excited too, because I think like this is going to be the best roster he's ever taken to the playoffs. Um, talent for sure. I yeah, mean, I, I, you know, I, I will say if they're healthy, yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's how I felt last year too. <laughs> you know, with 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 the Pacers, yeah. Like I just before the season last year, I was telling people this is a top four team in the East because on paper one through five there's not a lot of teams that were that just talented at every position and i don't think people realized unless you watch the bucks extensively or you watch in to pay that how good michael brogdon is i don't think people realize the steal that they got in tj warren when they made that trade and then obviously vic it was like all hinged on whether vic was going to be healthy or not but i just thought you know, going into last season, there was so much upside. Um, actually, I guess that sort of transitions into what I wanted to talk to with you about the Pacers, right? So this team, I don't know if it feels this way to you, but just having followed them from the beginning of last year to now, it, it just feels like there's some kind of like curse that needs to be lifted right now. You know, it just, yeah, it's uh injuries are uh, like the bane of the Pacers existence, man. Um like every time that there is an opportunity for things to, to go right, it feels like injuries pop up. Um, and I, I mean, to an extent that happens for, for every franchise. Um, but it's just been really prevalent the last decade. Like, I mean, if you like, I just think about that 13, 14 team. And if Danny Granger had been healthy, like he not even like at his full capabilities, like if he's just able to play 25 or 30 minutes a game and, and not be, you know, a complete zero out there, I mean, that fundamentally changes things. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Danny was so good. Um, but, yeah, like you're mentioning, I mean, with TJ Warren being out, that just, just changed everything for the Pacers this year. Um, that's, like, the biggest issue for them is just not having anybody on the roster who is a forward. I mean, um, they have O'Shea Brissett. He's a, on a 10-day 10, 10 right now. He actually had a really good game yesterday. Um But at the same time, like, if you're relying on a guy who you picked up on a 10-day to be, like, a – some playing like, you know, like a 10 or 12 minute role for you as a forward, like that, that kind of shows where the state of your roster is. They're chock full of combo guards and bigs. And it's just a, mm-hmm. an awkward, awkward roster because they really struggle to defend bigger wings. So like you saw against uh, the Clippers, uh, was that two, two nights ago? Um, like they, the, the Clippers game plan was get Marcus Morris the ball because uh, I mean, he was getting easy, easy matchups in the post and like, so often we talk about like, oh, well, you know, the post isn't necessarily a great weapon. Well, if you can get a mismatch, it, it sure as hell is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Marcus had like 25 points in that game was just 
I mean, you, you see that kind of stuff routinely happening. Anytime there's a big wing, they, uh, they, they find points in, in bunches. Um, the offense has been a little bit better. Um, but again, it's like, it's really just hard to evaluate because you're like, well, the offensive rating or just offensive, everything statistically isn't really like necessarily better, but you're like, okay, well, they're doing all of this without having who would be probably their most versatile offensive player in TJ. And, um, it's, it's just, it's hard to gauge, but. And, well, and having to, and having a guy who is coming off of cancer surgery, yeah, like, yes. you know, because in terms of dynamic offensive scorers, he's right. I'd say he's him and TJ are one in one a because yeah. Karis has the upside of a 25 a night guy in the, if, if he develops the right way. But I mean, what are you going to do? You trade for the guy and find out that he's at, that he has, you know, he has to have a, was kidney right he had to have a yeah you know so you know it, just everything you know, everything and then he gets healthy and then who's miles has been banged up and then yep. you know, to bonus was banged up earlier it's just i with jeremy lamb is he healthy now i just can never keep track of jeremy lamb uh, yeah jeremy's back uh he was back last night and the night before but even then like yeah you're you're right you're totally spot on man the roster is like uh, if, if you have, uh, any of your top eight healthy, it seems like a win in some regards, but, uh, yeah, it's, so, it's been, um, it's been an adventure this year. That's for damn sure. So what's the, like, I mean, right now still just a game out of the playoffs or out of, excuse me, not out of the playoffs, out of the eight seed, which means, you know, hey, look, anything can happen with the East because you look at four through basically, you know, basically four through nine separated by three and a half games so you could hypothetically play your way into you know six or higher and get locked in right now in the play-in what is uh like what with all of the injuries and all that what's a success for this team this year like you know what i mean yeah yeah no it's a it's a really tough question to answer because uh i, I think i mean i i'm not a fan so i try and look at it just objectively and um i think in some regards like this team, I think Malcolm is the, the oldest player uh, who's in the starting five, 28. Um, TJ's right behind him at 27. Like this team's championship window, or not even championship, but contention window, like trying to make a conference finals and go from there. Um, like their real window as a team is in the, you know, I, I would say two to three years. They have everybody in the starting five uh, other than TJ is on uh, at, at least three years left on their deal. Um, so theoretically you can envision that together. Um, I of course have questions about the, you know, starting two bigs, but that's a, that's a whole other story. Um, but theoretically you can look at it and say, okay, well, I think down the road is their shot. Like you have three teams at the top right now who are all going to like, you know, Indiana's not going to beat Milwaukee, Brooklyn, or Philly. Like there's just not in a series and it's not all about winning a title, but I just think, um, this is like the one shot that the team is going to a have, reasoning for not being in the playoffs given injuries it's a weird season um and I, I think it's kind of like one maybe the only year where you could justify saying hey we're not necessarily like we, we might not make the playoffs this year um and if you if they were able to fall out and get a lottery pick i think um i'm definitely not a proponent of tanking but i do think this is just like this is the year where if they could fall out and get their first lottery pick since they picked miles turner in 2015 um that would be huge for them. Like getting a guy who can be um, part of your long-term plans while also helping in the immediate term on a, on a rookie scale deal does so much for you as a contender. 
um, and expanding what you have moving forward. Um, I don't think they're going to end up falling out. Um, mm-hmm. Like I think they'll end up going in a first round and I think they'll be more competitive in the first round than last year. Uh, so, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. Is it better to, to get your guys some experience in a probably unwinnable series or to maybe get uh, a little bit more high-end talent with some upside? Um, it's an yeah, interesting question to look at. It is, especially like I'm with you. I hate tanking, but tanking in certain situations makes it, you know, it makes sense. Like exactly. I don't like breaking down your roster and throwing a G league team out there for a year and yeah. trying to say, we're going to build from scratch like that. Cause I just don't, there's no Philly fans will claim that they prove they could do the it. The process is not a win as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's like, been seven it's, years or whatever, yeah. you know, they've been doing, it's been forever and they still, now this year, I think I would be honest, watching Embiid the last few games. He's been amazing, man. This Embiid can win the East. Yeah. No one can stop him. I, and honestly, right now, look, watching Joel Embiid, that's the only team that can beat the Nets in a seven-game series. And it would have to be him playing at this level every night because they can't stop him. Um, but yes, you build it, breaking a team down and just solely building through tanking through lottery doesn't work. Yeah. But in the case of the Pacers, like you said, you have your core. You just – You've had injuries. It's been a rough season, you know, and ultimately in this league, you got to have a guy like you got to have a guy to, to be a championship team, like one of those dudes. And I don't know that any of these guys on the Pacers are that, you know, top 10, potentially top five, potential like the upside type guys. So it, you, you might be right. Like maybe, getting a lottery pick and potentially going and getting that guy and adding him to a, a team of just really high level play. You know, you have all, you have Brogdon, Levert, and Sabonis. Sabonis is an all-star. I think Brogdon is, he has the upside of an all-star. I don't know that he'll ever make it just because of the, the way the wing, I mean, guard positions are just stacked in the NBA. Yeah. Karras the same way. Cause he's always just going to be a volume scorer, but like the upside of those guys is there. But none of they're not none of them are really top 10 type guys, which you, you kind of need in the league to, to go on that run. So it's I've never really thought about it, but it's it's probably not the worst idea for them to m- maybe play for the lottery at this point and get healthy, go get a guy who maybe develops into you know the co- the real franchise player, and then bring back everyone healthy next year and go for it. But I don't know. That's a no. That does, they don't seem like the type of organization that would they be. are not yet. No, it's uh it's funny because every time I talk about it with somebody, the more I talk about it, I'm like, yeah, this isn't gonna happen. They're not gonna do it. And I mean credit to them. I part of the reason why I enjoy like the Pacers in general is they're always competitive and they always try and, and make something happen. And uh there's something to that, like consistency is a good thing as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, this is like this is like the one year, like like we're mentioning, like this maybe just you know, try and uh try and make it happen this year, but it's it probably won't, but regardless, yeah. there there there's a lot that, that you can like about the team. Um, I and I, I really think, uh, like I agree, there's not a top ten guy, and they're probably even if they got a lottery pick, I mean, probably not a top ten guy too. Um, like, but you never of, know, right? Yeah, so no, just, exactly. You never know, but like point being, I mean, I, I think uh, T.J. Warren was on a trajectory. I don't think he was going to be uh, the you know quote unquote bubble Warren, but I think. Um, he's the most important player to the team, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Like he's not necessarily the best player on the team, but he is, he's the guy who, I mean, just as you know, like if you are six foot eight, you can dribble, you can shoot, 
you can hit crafty shots inside the arc and you can play defense at an above at an average to above average level then you you're just about a max player like it's very hard to find guys like that and uh him just in any form is uh like i i think he he has like probably the highest upside on the roster just in terms of like what he can bring on a nightly basis isn't it weird that in a league that basically for the last what now almost 20 years has been chasing LeBron James. What that is, that is essentially turned into a wing players league. Yep. There's so few guys like six, eight or above that can score at a high level at all three levels. It just, you would think that coming up now, like for the last 10 years, you'd think every wing player in college and in high school, their whole thing would be get as become as forget. Like it's cool to be a freak athlete, but having that skill to score at all three levels, then because you're going to if you come in as a rookie and you prove that in, even if you score 18 a game, but you prove that you can score at the rim mid range and shoot the three, you're going to get a max in two years. Like you said, yep. it's just but there's but you're right. There's so few of them. And that's why I that's why I point back to what I said about the Hawks with DeAndre Hunter. I see the upside there of a six, seven, six, eight guy who can defend and score at all three levels. Most teams don't have it. There's so few of them and you need it to win in this league. So yeah, TJ, it's, it's true. Yeah, it's very true. Um, all right. Before we talk about MVP, we, since we've talked about almost every team in the East at this point, Boston is playing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're up 38, 31. It's the second quarter against Lakers. They've been a really weird team this year too. Uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on what their upside is as a team this year. Cause I think coming into the year, if you had to sort of handicap the East, a lot of people probably would have said that they were at least a team that could compete in the East. Not, I don't know if you would have picked them to win it, but you would have at least said, Hey, they're top four and you don't want to play them in the playoffs. Now I don't, it's like night to night. You don't know. Yeah. Um, they've been better recently. You know, their top Tatum's been, Tatum's been, yeah, Tatum's been amazing. Yeah. Um, I uh, like the, the skepticism around Tatum has been weird to me. I, I just like found out recently that this is a thing like people in, there, there's a, a, a large portion of people in Boston who like just don't have any belief in Tatum. And I, I, saw I don't that too. get it's it like, that's at all. Absurd. Yeah. To absurd. me, I, I just, it doesn't make sense. Plays fantastic defense and you know, he's not quite a top level primary initiator or anything, but he's as close to being that as you can be without being it. So um I think a lot of it just hinges on Kemba Walker for me. Uh, he's looked a little bit better recently, at least athletically, but uh, you know, having his shot fall consistently and being able to get into the paint and make things happen there is where I have questions um, because right now they're relying on a lot of Marcus Smart to play make. And Marcus Smart's a good playmaker, but I just don't think he can handle that kind of load. Um, and we've only seen Evan Fournier play four games. Like I know he's been – like, again, like just such a weird season. He's I out again tonight. Yeah. I've really liked Rob Williams, though. Uh, him taking over the starting spot has been fantastic. Um, it's a, a little bit frustrating to me that they had to trade Daniel Tice just to make that happen because, yeah. I mean, Daniel Tice is better than Tristan Thompson. And if they were wanted to do something in the playoffs, like I know part of it's like, um, you know, they wanted to get under the tax, which is a whole other thing. It's a, a little bit frustrating that your front office has to do that in the middle of the year, but whatever. Um, I just have issues with their depth. Like, I just don't think that they have enough depth to do anything outside of the first round or, or, I mean, I guess anything can happen. They made the Eastern conference finals last year. Um, but it's going to be, uh, like, I mean, Jason Tatum's going to have to have, but uh, Jalen Brown, like every, every night, night they're yeah. both going to, they're going to have to combine for like 70 points. 
Um, and that, that's just asking a lot out of your top two players to be a fantastic defensively and then also go do that on the offensive end. Um, I mean, in terms of top end talent, they have it, but just, I mean, once you get down past Fournier, okay, I trust Robert Williams in the, well, I don't know if I trust Robert Williams in the playoffs. I don't trust him. I don't trust him to play 40 minutes. I trust yeah. him to play 20 minutes. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. then, I mean, Grant Williams is, is hit or miss. His shot's been, it, it hasn't fallen as well recently. I like him defensively and he can do stuff as a, like a facilitator sometimes as a connective passer. But um, I mean, outside of that, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't have a lot of faith in their depth. Um, but I still think like that they're, they, they've been, they've been really promising recently. And if, if Kemba gets like at least close to being back to form, um, then that changes the calculus for sure. And I think they can do more. I think their upside right now is probably like the fourth best team in the East this year. Yeah. And they'll give one of the better teams a, uh, a, a good run for their money if they make the second round, but um, still a lot hinging on it for them. And I'm interested to see how things kind of develop uh, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I don't even have a lot to add because I, that's sort of the, the, the drum that I've been beating on this show for a while now is that because of their depth issues, if Kemba or Marcus smart is not playing at a high level at any point, this team just can't, they just can't compete with the higher level teams because they have those four guys or they have Tatum and Jalen who are obviously the guys, but then Marcus smart uh, and Kemba are so important to be playing at a high level at all times. You have four really, really good players, two elite players, one former all-star in Kemba and then Marcus smart, who's really like the heartbeat of your team defensively mm -hmm. and just leadership wise. And if they're not all clicking, which they don't always, obviously Kemba is a big one. They just can't get it. The, the bench is just, like you said, it's just so, it's so, I mean, I love, I actually, I love Peyton Pritchard, but just that it's not sustainable in the playoff. Well, run. yeah, exactly. You can't count on somebody who's, you know, a six, six, one point guard to, to make rookie. things happen for you in the playoffs. Yeah. Exactly. Rookie. Like I know he's done a lot in, in the NCAA tournament, but you're just asking a lot. And it's just such a weird roster right now. Like I think about it a lot. Like if Kemba's not on this team, as much as I like Kemba, like it, it, you, you feel a lot differently about what this team's uh, not that, not that I think their future is bad or anything. I, I think that's going too far, but um, just the expectations on the team feel weird um, given yeah. the, the kind of war that the roster seems to be at with, at, with itself in some regards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. The uh, well, the only other game going on tonight is Phoenix Sacramento. Like I said, in Sacramento, I probably don't need to talk a ton about that. Although Phoenix, they keep winning, they keep making my bold prediction after the All Star break look good, which is that they'd finish with the best record in the NBA. Um, it's going to be close, and I don't. That doesn't mean I think they're going to win a title because I don't think they're a championship team yet. But I do think the way it's all going to shake out, they finish. I don't know. Do you? How do you feel about that? Because I think they finished. They've been playing better than Utah recently. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't buy – I don't necessarily buy Utah yet. I know it's like a common thing. It's, it's low-hanging fruit because they just – again, like they don't have that – but I just don't necessarily buy – I don't necessarily buy either of those teams to, yeah, to, to, I think, to go uh, deep. Denver was buy, the only – Denver was the only non-LA team that I bought to win – the West. I'm so upset about Jamal Murray. Without, but now that Jamal Murray, I mean, yeah, how could you not be? It's just yeah. we we talked about it a ton, but like, just such a great dude too. But also, yeah. they, they finally went for it with the Aaron Gordon trade, and it's like, okay, now even 
even if the Lakers are healthy, this looks like a team that could probably compete, not necessarily win, but compete with them in a series. And then this happens. It just sucks. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's also, it's, it's hard because I know a lot of people bring up, well, you know, they're a young team and all of next year. It's not that simple, you know, like a lot, of, a lot changes in one off season. Um, but I, I'm still hopeful for them. I, I think they'll make some noise in the playoffs, but they're definitely out for me as a contender. Um, but I would add on Utah and Phoenix, I think I have more faith in Utah than I do in Phoenix right now. And I know Utah hasn't been playing as well as they have been recently, which is saying a lot considering there's still, you know, a lot of green in the wind column. Um, I just, for Phoenix, um, and I don't know if you feel similarly, but I just don't know if, the, like DeAndre Ayton was fantastic against Utah, but he's not that player every night. Um, mm -hmm. And he's that player far less than he needs to be for for phoenix to be a real uh playoff threat in my opinion because so much of what they do defensively hinges on him they really don't have a backup center who can come in and replicate what he does like dario right. sarge is fantastic but um sure. he's he's not providing the same as a rim protector um and also just offensively like when Aiden's really active and engaged and he's attacking and wants to be aggressive that's awesome but he just doesn't do it routinely and it's it's hard because this is what his third year like I, i'm it's uh it's hard to ask him to step up and be that you know in an instant and i know going back to his high school days he's never really been um like an ultra aggressive player and trying to force his own offense so um i just uh, until i see it happen a little bit more consistently i'm not ready to say that i think utah's uh like a true contender this year yeah, no, I, I don't think – I mean, so, Phoenix. Definitely. Phoenix. Well, I don't think either is, but I guess if we're just to comparing the two, I agree with you on the Aiton thing. Where I lean Phoenix is I think when it comes to the playoffs, these two teams' engines are their backcourts. Yep. And we're talking about one of the best point guards in NBA history and Mike Conley, and then Devin Booker and, and – and uh, Donovan Mitchell, who I actually, I think Devin Booker has developed into the better player. And then defensively outside of Gobert, I think Phoenix's wings are much more athletic and switchable yep. than Utah, who outside of Royce O'Neal, you're throwing like Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson. Like, so th those are the two things that sort of, but the Rudy Gobert, you know, he's, it's just such a, it makes such a difference compared to eight. And so but I, I don't buy either team as like a, a beating either of the LA teams. And I don't even know if I buy the Clippers yet, even though I should, it's just Dude, it's you... hard with the Clippers with, with what we've seen from them in the last couple of exactly. years. Like, how, I mean, their offense though, is just like, it's unbelievable. I mean, we've, we've talked so much about, uh, about what Utah's offense looks like and, and what Phoenix's offense looks like when it's humming, but the Clippers offense, I mean, man, they just don't freaking miss from outside. Um, it's crazy. I don't think if you asked, if you ask 10 NBA fans right now, like decent NBA fans, but not like hardcores that do a podcast every, like a few times a week. Yeah. And you said, who's the best three point shooting team in the league? Would any of them guess the Clippers? Nope. Probably not. Probably not. It's just crazy. Yeah. Except it's, it's something that I wonder about too, because I like a little bit that Utah is having um, this down stretch here. Instead of uh, like, I, I hate like talking about like, you know, quote unquote peaking, but I do think there is something to that, um, like building momentum and, and, you know, working through issues in the regular season is important so that you're ready for the playoffs. Um, it's interesting that L.A. is having this massive just shooting uh, um, like surplus right in the middle of the season um, instead of, you know, like 
not that it's going to necessarily happen in the playoffs, but um, I don't think they're going to quote unquote, like shoot themselves out or anything like that. But I do think there is something to that. Like just statistically shit happens. Um, So I, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's something that I'm monitoring for sure. Yeah. Um, And before we move on to the MVP conversation it is worth noting that before the late, this Lakers Celtics game today, Frank Bowell said that AD was cleared to resume on court activities and he's going to be back pretty soon, which awesome. Obviously, it's huge for them, and I think most people just assume if him and LeBron are healthy, they're winning the West anyways. So they, a lot of these West – like I, I do think in the East, even though the, the, the Nets are the favorite, I do think there's more of a conversation because we haven't seen the Nets do it yet. In the yeah. West, I think there's this assumption that like if the Lakers are healthy, it's the Lakers, which – it's understandable. They're, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's closer, man. You know, they got a, they got a lot to figure out offensively once LeBron and AD come back because their offense has been like, I mean, it's again, it's hard with with LeBron out, but um, I it just it's brought up a lot of questions for me about what their role players are going to look like because they had a lot of overturn, um, but but their defense know, we'll is see. just so the defense good. has it's been just, monstrous. Even and then when you, I mean, and even without them, it's been great. But with those yeah. two. You just, I, I just, I figure, you know, with a LeBron AD led team, the offense will happen in the playoffs, but the yeah. defense is just so like, they're one of the few teams that they're fun to watch on defense. Oh, they're a joy to watch on defense. Yeah. Man. Like I was just, I was watching them play. Uh, I think it was the Charlotte game um, two days ago. They're just so fun, man. Yeah. Like Frank Vogel is, I loved Frank. I really wish that the Pacers hadn't fired him or yeah, another, another mutually Pacer parted coach. ways. Um, but yeah, he's, got to be just about the best defensive coach in the NBA. Oh, here's, I guess, here's another one. So as a Pacer guy, do you, where do you fall on Paul George? Obviously I know oh, I you like probably Paul love George Paul from what he did, but like the way people crush him. I, playoff I, I, I don't necessarily stuff. agree with all of it. I think um, it's tough because uh, I mean, Paul sticks his own foot in his mouth sometimes. Uh, and, you know, it's not always a great look, but at the same time, like the fact that he gets, berated the way that he does just for not being great interview is kind of annoying to me mm-hmm. um like he's 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 not a great media guy just to be completely honest and it's like whatever you know what some people aren't i don't i don't care it's fair. you know it's his job to play basketball it's my job to talk about it it doesn't have to mean he has to be good at it but um in terms of the playoffs like i mean he's been a clutch player in the playoffs before obviously not as much recently um I do think the OKC stuff gets a little bit overblown. I really wish he hadn't said that shit about Damian Lillard shot after the fact. Yeah. Because that, that's what really blew everything open, it feels like. Um, but, I mean, the season he had in OKC that year gets overlooked a lot. Like, he was – if he didn't have shoulder surgery or uh, wasn't, you know, playing with two dead shoulders, um, I mean, mm. he, he probably wins MVP that year. I mean, he that's was – crazy. He was on in route to winning it uh, until he had to sit out a couple games uh, and his, his numbers slumped after he came back. But I mean, he's a damn good player yeah. and I just love his craft. Like he's maybe like the most fun player to watch aesthetically, like for a guy, his size with his length to be able to handle the way that he does, he's grown a lot as a passer um, and he's just so smooth. Uh, yeah. And like, I, I think not enough gets talked about like Paul George is probably like, it just in terms of, of volume and difficulty, like top five shooter in the NBA. Like, I mean, he does a ton of stuff off movement, uh, takes off the dribble shots. He's not just a catch and shoot guy. Um, he's a fantastic player. Yeah. I mean, after KD, 
he's probably one of those he's in that he's in that in terms of wing players he's definitely yeah. in that conversation of those next because i think i mean i think katie's in that conversation the bet okay oh, maybe the, the best, best ever i think katie's the best shooter in the nba yeah like if you're just talking pure shooting like from anywhere on the court right right he's a seven footer who can literally score <laughs> exactly. from any place yeah. he's standing he's, at any he's time. unfair man like yeah, he's yeah. just Pretty much since I was uh, since I was like twelve, I've just said, okay, well, anytime Katie takes a shot, I just flip a coin and we'll figure out if it's going in or not. So yeah. it's funny too because we talked about it on here how we keep forgetting, it, it, not necessarily, if, but you like you know he he doesn't play last year and then he comes back in the beginning and you're like, oh shit, yeah, that's Katie. Then he sits out for with the hamstring and then he comes back and makes his first like nine shots in the first game back and you're like, oh, oh yeah, that's. This is why they're winning a championship potentially. Not not anything else. Like the other guys are good, but this is why it's happening. Um, well, so actually, a lot of those guys that we talked about transitions well into what I wanted to sort of wrap up with here, which was um, Tim Bontemps re- released his uh, straw poll, I guess, of 101 media members that he polled about MVP for this year as of right now, and 90 of 100 voted Nikola Jokic in first place. Um, so I'm interested. I, I'm interested to see where you fall on this because I'm not saying that he's not MVP, but I also do think that's a lot of first place votes. And I does seem like at this point, people are giving, not that, and again, not that he's not having a great year because he is, but it does seem like people are giving him the award already out of just out of attrition because he's played like I think people in a normal year, you would punish MVP candidates for missing games. Mm -hmm. But I think this year, so many of the MVP candidates have missed extended amount of time. He has ascended just purely off of playing more games than other guys. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I mean, I think I would say, uh, cause I always try and have a running ballot going on throughout the year just to keep it in my thoughts. Um, I mean, I've had Jokic pretty much tied with Embiid the entire year. And it's just like you're mentioning, like because Embiid missed so much time, um, I would just have Jokic right now. But at the same time, I mean, if Philly keeps playing the way that they have been, if Denver slumps a little bit and Jokic's individual numbers aren't as great, then then I, I think I'm leaving room for Embiid to come back in. But I do I just think you have to factor in games played a little bit. Um, but I agree. Like I, I do think there should be a lot more leeway with it this year. Um but it's just crazy to me, like the jump that that uh, that Jokic has taken. Um, mm-hmm. Like I think Embiid has obviously been fantastic. It just feels like a lot more of consistency to me. Um, like he's of course taken another step. Like oh, I, uh, he's changed though. Like I, yeah. I do think now the things that I've crushed him for in the past, he's 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 not doing as much. You know, like yeah. he is looking to get to the free throw line. He's looking to crush smaller guys. He's going at guys instead of settling for jumpers. Like there's things that he's doing. Uh, and I, again, I, I don't know if he's my MVP, but I think it's closer. And I think yeah. the game, no, I agree. I like think it's, it's the games is what separates them right now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think too, like the, the passing, I mean, it's an easy way to, to, to justify it, but I mean uh, like what, what Yoke does in terms of setting everyone else up on Denver is like, it's, it's special, man. Like watching somebody like that, his size pass and just, it's not even just that he's a big guy who can pass. It's the way that he does it, where he does it from. It's it's meaningful passing. It's not just like empty calories bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. And it's yeah. I, so it, it's it's close though. Like I would probably have it like 
you know, 55, 45 to, to Jokic right now. Here's something I want to pose to you though, because I do think that when people, when they're thinking about the vote and even when they're voting or like you said, you keep a running ballot. I do think that subconsciously when we're thinking about MVP, we in the back of our minds or maybe in, even in the front for some people, part of the consideration is what team is this guy doing it on? And can this team win a championship? Like, is this a championship level team? Now the, the nuggets now without Jamal, like if the nuggets didn't have Jamal Murray for an extended period and Jokic was doing this, but they weren't a top three team. Would we do, I, I just, I'm, I'm wondering, would we still be considering it the same way? Like now that this team is, is not looked at as like a championship team without Jamal Murray, although maybe some people do think they are, will he lose steam? Because I think yeah. we look at the, we look at MB, the Sixers and we're like, that team can win it. That team can at least go to the finals. Will the, will there be a drop-off now with him putting up stats on a team that we don't necessarily think can get to the finals anymore? You know, that's a good point. Um, I think because there's I think, definitely and, a chance. Yeah, because we'll I also ahead. say, I also say, I truly think the reason Harden was in has been in the discussion at all is because he's doing what he's doing now on a team that they think can win a championship. But the only reason that team can win a championship is because they have Kevin Durant. Like if Kevin Durant wasn't on that team, wasn't eventually coming back, people would say, "Oh, well, Harden's just doing what he always does. He's putting up stats, and then he's going to lose in the playoffs," and they would knock him for it. Uh, but they believe that this is a championship team now. So I think he's getting a little bit of a bump up in that conversation. Not that he's not having a great year, but he has great years every year. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Like, I think it's just been, it's been interesting because of the way that James has uh, adjusted a little bit. And he's, he, I mean, he's been the point guard for, mm-hmm. for Brooklyn. Um, and everyone's talking about, you know, the assist numbers and this and that. I'm like, well, I mean, if you're passing to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, that that would definitely, but I mean, that will bump my assist numbers. So, yeah, but what I, I, that's my what I'm confused there is though is the guys led the league in assists before. Yeah, he, he, when he was MVP. I mean, like, is I mean, I know his assists went down, but he also was playing with Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, who are dominant ball handlers. So the rise in assists doesn't mean he got better to me. No, and I'm a big James Harden guy. Oh, it just him. means he's back to what he was doing before he played with them. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Like, I think just not to hype myself up, I try and just, I, when I look at MVP, I'm like, who is having the best individual season in the NBA? Um, and I think, I, I mean, even when Denver was down at the seven seed, I, I thought Jokic was pretty close to being top guy. Like, I had him pretty much tied with Embiid. Um, and I guess it's hard to, like, obviously winning is important, but I think it's not that it, it almost felt like, Den, like, Jokic was doing everything in spite of the team struggling around him um, and was helping them stay afloat. And then they were able to get to being a four seed. Um, and it's the same. I mean, Embiid was facilitating everything that Philly was doing to become, you know, where, where they are at with the one seed right now. Um, so I don't know. I guess it does fluctuate with that. Um, and especially too, it's hard because neither of them are doing anything that's like hindering the team from being better. Um and, you know, normally if MVP is not doing that, like you could look at Russ and say, well, you know, his defense is, mm-hmm. is, is his defense. Um, but no, it's a really good question, man. And I wonder how it influences some voting because I have always been uh, not a huge fan of the way that uh, some media can do their voting. Yeah, well, that's for sure. There's yeah. a lot of a lot of it's narrative based because honestly, you could make an argument for Giannis, but no one's going to vote for Giannis because they don't want him to be three 
They don't want him to win it three times in a row. And because it's weird, like with the MVP award, the target moves every year and what is actually the MVP. So yeah. like Giannis for the regular season, Giannis is having an MVP type season. Yeah. He's number three for me right now. I'm but, but every voter is going to say in the back of every voter's mind, they've been eliminated in the playoffs early every year. So yeah. They think about it, whether they realize they're thinking about it or not. So anyone like, oh, I voted for this guy for MVP twice and then he lost in the playoffs. I'm not going to do it again. Like, I think that I think there are some voters who think that way. Um, but then like also what if if Embiid is so far it, and I do think Embiid is either one or two to where you're depending on where you're at. But like LeBron's played more games than Embiid. And LeBron was firmly in the conversation until he got hurt. And now he's just totally out of it, which is weird. Yeah. No, it's funny, too, because I didn't – not that LeBron's had a bad year. LeBron's been fantastic. I mean, he's freaking LeBron. But, I mean, the he's – I just – I felt, um, I mean, going through some of the metrics and also just in watching, like, he is not – he – he is not at the same level that Joel Embiid is at. Like Joel Embiid is like just no. anybody. Like yeah. to me, like watching this version of Joel Embiid feels like watching uh, the 2000 Shaq run. Like that's, that's it's the closest so true, thing man. I can think of in terms of comparison. Like if Joel Embiid gets the ball and he faces up, okay, it's over. He's either getting free throws or it's going in. And um, like it's, and it feels similarly with Jokic too, obviously in a different way. Um, like yeah. just once, like it, it, and I just I haven't felt the same with LeBron, which is, it sounds reductive to put it like that, but that's just, um, yeah. And in, in looking at MVP, that's uh, that's where it comes down to for me right now. The only other guy that I and it, it wasn't until recently that I thought about it, but the only other guy that I would really consider, and I and you obviously I don't think you can consider him because of the team, but I think if you look at the the year, and we look at the context of everything that's going on. I do think that Steph should at least be on people's radar a little more. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously you're not going to give it to a guy who doesn't make the playoffs. Right. But even, but if this team does make the playoffs, it's such, I think it's such an underrated accomplishment for, I don't think enough people are watching the Warriors to realize how, how awful this team is and what Steph's doing this year. He's second in the league in scoring. And especially this recent run that he's been on, it's like I felt this way about Dame earlier in the year. I thought Dame was actually going to play his way into MVP contention, and he has dropped off a little bit. That team has dropped off a little bit. But now Steph's doing what I thought Dame was going to do, which is literally care. I mean, when Steph doesn't play, I mean, I know you've seen them play this year when Steph when Steph yeah, doesn't when they play, don't play, it's it's it, it uh, is it is a it's, shit a, show. it's a G League team. It is yeah. really bad, and even when they play, it's not great but he just has put that team on his back. They should not be a playoff team. And it's all him. It's all him. And he is having, he's having one of the statistically, one of the best years of his career. He's averaging 29 a game. I mean, can you, can he get, can he be in the conversation? Yeah. He's in the conversation for me um, again. Like, see, that's where it's tough because like for uh, like in trying to decipher who the MVP is like, um, I, I, it's it's tough because I don't want it. It's not a team award. It's about what the individual is doing. Um, it's hard. It's just well, like, but, I, like your mission. But, it's hard to like justify, but, like, you know, but um, it's, I know what you're saying, but it's not a team award, but also it's the most valuable player to yeah, your team. So exactly. it's weird. Your team right? has to be like at least somewhat confident if you're going to win the award. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he, he should be in the conversation. I agree with Dame too. 
Um, and they, they have unfortunately fallen off a little bit. How do you feel about the, uh, the net rating discussion or that differential discussion about Portland? Cause I have, I have thoughts. It's uh it's interesting on, on where Portland's at and, uh, and how people are viewing their season. Yeah. I mean, it's, I didn't even realize until like recently how awful they really have been defensively, but yeah. it's just, it's been better with Nurkish back, but yeah, before. Yeah. It's it kind of, it's been hard. Insane. It's been hard. And it better with Nurk, but still, like I watched them play. It was actually it was the Heat game a couple nights ago where the Heat beat them, and the Heat are a bad offensive team right now. They've yeah. been a pretty bad offensive team most of the year. They couldn't stop the Heat. They could not stop the Heat, and that's tough, man. Like that's tough. If you can't do that, because I've watched enough Heat to know that if you can't stop the Heat right now, you, you have some defensive problems. So, yeah, I don't know what it is with that team. I just don't. I personally, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Neil O'Shea of what he's done with that roster. Um, I thought that um, they went to the Western Conference Finals two years ago and then sort of blew everything up just as the Warriors were falling apart. And he tried to go younger and more talented. I just don't understand the majority of the roster moves that they've made over the last couple of years. I don't think they've done themselves any favors in terms of being competitive. They're literally, it's just hinging on Dame and CJ. And I just don't, I don't think they can compete the way they're built. Yeah, so. no, I agree. I don't really think they're a contender this year. Um, I mean, again, they have Damian Lillard, so you ne- you never know. Um, yeah. They could get it. They could get on a nice run, but at the same time, that's asking a lot out of him. Um, I agree. I really thought they had an opportunity to be aggressive uh, a in the off season and B at the trade deadline this year. Um, and they really weren't, and it's been Norman just kind of, yeah. I, I mean, I like Norman Powell, but at the same time, like Gary Trent Jr. is going to be a better player than Norman Powell in two years. Um, I literally so. said on the show, I felt like they traded two cheap Norman Powells for one very expensive Norman Powell. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, because like, I, I mean, Norman brings you more as a shot creator right now, but at the same time, like, I mean, okay. Gary Trent's 22 years old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, it's something like that too. And just, I, I don't know what to feel about them and what they're going to do moving forward, but yeah. Yeah. It's a rough one. Um, yeah. It sucks. Cause Dame is truly one of the more likable players and one of the funnest to watch, particularly oh, yeah. obviously in crunch time. It's just like anything can happen, but yeah, I don't know. Um, all right, cool. Well, yeah, I, I would say right now, if I was a voter and maybe it's, recency bias because i've watched the last couple sixers games i'd probably go Embiid because it's just he's so he's so dominant i realize Jokic is dominant in a different way but it's fun to see Embiid become the player that everyone kind of knew he could be and cut out all the bullshit and you watch that team and you're like this team can this team could this team could really make a run at this thing and i not that I don't believe that about the Nuggets anymore, but I truly believe that about Philly, and it's because of Embiid. Uh, Denver, I guess this is my difference right now in my thought process. They're both having incredible statistical seasons, right? So it's right there. When I watched Denver with Jamal Murray, I thought that that team could make a run because of that team. And Jokic being the key, the best player on that team, you have to put him up top. But I also think, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. is a top 10 shooter in the NBA this year. You trade for Aaron Gordon. Yeah, you know, that's a deep team. I thought all around that team could get it done. 
I look at Philly and I'm like, if Embiid is Embiid the way he is right now, that team's winning a t- that team could win a title. If you it, it it's not because of everybody else. Everybody else is fine, but it's because of Embiid, and that's where I lean Embiid because it's just his dominance is just different to me. No, that's fair. Um, I still think I would lean Jokic just right now because the games. I get yeah. it. I get it. It's, it's close. I get it. I get it. Because if Embiid played twenty more games, would he have? Would he be as dominant? I guess that's a fair. You know, and also it is unfair to say like, like, for example, like Embiid, like the Sixers are nine and nine without him and they're 29 and eight with him. But it's unfair to, to make that comparison because you don't have the same comparison with Jokic because he's played yeah, every definitely. game, you know, so it's tough. It, I guess it's it could go either way. We'll see. We got what Philly has less than 20. They got like 55. So they got yeah, like I mean, 17, the end of the 17, coming up on 17 us, games left. It's so, so soon. It's crazy which is probably good. We need to get done with this season. We need I, to get this thing I out agree, of the way. Less game is better for, for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, Mark. Well, this was awesome. It's a great conversation. I appreciate you jumping on. Um, Indie Cornrows is the Pacers podcast. Premium Hoops is the league-wide show, right? Yes, sir. And it's premiumhoops.com. Anything else? What else can I promote? Yeah, Um no, I mean, I just appreciate you having me on, man. This was a fun convo. Um, we'll have to do it again sometime. I don't know why I just shortened convo, but, you know, yeah, it's, it's late. But, uh, yeah, this was a blast, man. Uh, to, to everyone listening, thank you for uh, for listening to me ramble for an hour and a half. This was a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Go check out the podcast. And uh, I'll be back Monday uh, with another guest host. I'm not positive who it is yet. So it'll be it's a mystery. So, so stay tuned. But I guarantee you this, it's going to be a good one. See you guys next week. Later.